Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. The, uh, the message today that, uh, that I'm uh, entitling this is, To Whom Much Is Given, Much Is Required. Who's ever heard that? Before that's a biblical principle that even in business, business leaders use that. And uh, the reason that I entitled that is the Torah teaching today uh, is where God gives us the laws and the principles concerning the priesthood. What should the priests have to abide by? What are the various requirements for them to preserve standards of holiness? Amen. How many of you know we serve a holy God? And he has standards. Those standards aren't meant to put us into bondage. Those standards are meant to keep us on the pathway of life and blessing. Who could use more life and blessing? Well, we need to learn more about God's standards, God's guidelines, and today is a perfect example. One of these principles uh, is that serving the Lord does have requirements. Christians are real wonky about obedience and requirements and standards because we are told at our altar call, there's nothing you have to do. And we take that literally. Oh man, there's nothing I have to do? You mean I can live like the devil and still make heaven my home? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh-uh. Uh, and so uh, one of the principles that comes up is that serving the Lord has some obligation, some requirement. Whether you're officially a pastor or a priest in the priesthood, or just any uh, believer, any Christian is part of leadership. Jesus said in uh, Revelation 1, I have made you kings and priests. So we're all part of a holy nation. We're all part of a royal priesthood. And we need to be able to process the principles and standards and guidelines that God lays out so that uh, we get it right. Who wants to make it uh, all all the way through the pearly gates only to to hear, not well done. Not well done, thou unfaithful servant. (laughs) You stand in that line. (laughs) You don't want to go to that line. And so whether you're an Old Testament priest or a New Testament believer, God is calling us to set our sights on certain character traits, certain standards of performance, SOP. Uh, What's the first name of the Holy Spirit? Not a trick question. Holy. (laughs) What's the first work of the Holy Spirit? His first name. Holy. Uh, 
Holiness, righteousness, integrity, honesty, excellence, faithfulness. There's a lot of various attributes and qualities that God wants us to be striving for, right? That should be our goal. Now, we, uh, we potentially can become so awesome that one day maybe you'll walk on water. But uh, until that day comes, our, our goal is to get there. God, I'm waking up every day trying to understand what your will is and how to apply it to my life. Right? Do you, do you agree with that so far? If you do, say amen for the podcast. Now this uh, Torah study begins in Leviticus 21. And God gives a a number of instructions, and we're not going to go through all the instructions. Uh, But it actually, as I was studying this, I realized that what came up last week uh, in uh, like Leviticus 20, verse 7, where God said, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. So even uh, last week, God introduced to all of us, to Israel, and by extension all of us, a lengthy list of behaviors uh, that are worthy to shoot for. They're the standards that every believer, every disciple, every king and priest should have on their minds. Amen? And then in today's study... Uh, The Lord says to Moses, give the following instructions to the priests, the descendants of Aaron. And for two chapters, God lays out detailed explanations of how a priest is to conduct himself. And you and I today, we're kings, we're priests. Revelation 1. So they apply to us from this standpoint. We're not necessarily serving on staff. You may not be a licensed minister. You don't have to be. You're a Christian. You're a believer in Jesus. You're not just a believer. You're a disciple of Christ. And within that then becomes... Uh, this is where this all fits in. How do I conduct myself? How do I carry myself? And then as God ends all of these instructions, there's a lot of instructions, right? It's like trying to assemble that Christmas toy on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Man, I didn't, I didn't realize it was going to be so hard. But God ends the whole section by saying, You must faithfully keep all my commands by putting them into practice. For I am the Lord. Do not bring shame on my holy name. For I will display my holiness among the people of Israel. I am the Lord your God who makes you holy. It was I that rescued you from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. I am the Lord. Why does he keep saying that? Because it's important. Look, I'm, if I'm your God, listen up, son. Listen up, daughter. you got a certain standard of performance to live up to. Well, I thought that I was in the grace age. 
that I was in the dispensation of grace and there's nothing I have to do. Well, if you're the thief on the cross and you're dying uh, by 3 o'clock today, then there's not much time left for you to do anything. But how many of you plan on living a, a full life, a long life, a blessed life, a healthy life, an influential life? Uh, if that's you, and if Jesus doesn't come in uh, uh, the next uh, months... <laughs> If it's going to be a few years, then we need to be about our Father's business doing what God's called us to do. Overall, here's what's going on, is God is saying, you and I need the power of Jehovah Mekadesh. Who knows uh, who's ever prayed the prayer and included the name of God, Jehovah Mekadesh. My God, who is the sanctifier. My God, my sanctification, Jehovah Mekadesh. We need to pray that Jehovah Mekadesh and the work that he does is working in us, sanctifying us, right? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and the, 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 the first and foremost work of the Holy Spirit is holiness, right? And so we're filled with the Holy Spirit so that God can work this process of sanctification in our lives. And when you get into uh, the Bible study part of it, sanctification means a separation. God is sanctifying us. Well, what does that mean? He's separating us in two main ways. The first way, He's separating us unto Himself. You're a peculiar people, a holy nation, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. You've been called out of darkness into the kingdom of uh, His dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that comes a sense of duty, responsibility, and obligation. So He's separating us unto Himself. Number two, the second thing, He's separating us from sinfulness. Hallelujah. So it's a two-way street, a double-edged sword. Uh, I was uh, working on this yesterday, and... uh, I'm, I'm all of a sudden this thought popped into my head. What this is all about is love God, hate sin. Amen. Just boils down to something very simple: love God, hate sin. And all of a sudden, I went. To, uh, I, I thought of that, and I said, "That's a song." Uh, when I got saved in the '80s, uh, there was a lot of Christian rock and roll out there. And one of the, one of my favorites, uh, who lives in this area, I believe, he might go to Eagle Mountain Church, was Mylon Lefevre in Broken Heart. And he was a, a, a songwriter, a rocker, famous in the world. He gave his life to the Lord, and suddenly he was rocking for Jesus. And, uh, I was the beneficiary of that. Because I had just gotten saved, and I don't think I was into, I wasn't going to be necessarily into Lutheran hymns. (laughs) 
right? And so Mylon really helped me a lot. And one of his songs was Love God, Hate Sin. So I went on YouTube and found a version of it on YouTube. And I was rocking out. I mean, talk about getting in the DeLorean and going way back to, to my early days as a Christian. Love God, Hate Sin. And it was it was interesting because it, you know when you uh, post a YouTube video, there's room for you to post a description. And he had posted a description, and part of that description underneath the video is it's another blast from the past, but it's still true. God's word is very clear: you who love the Lord hate evil. It's that simple. And that was Mylon's message on that video. You who love the Lord hate evil. Amen. Amen. And so that was fun. I, I went through a whole bunch of Mylon songs after that. Uh, and uh, had a, a nice uh, flashback. And it reminded me uh, of one of my, one of the scriptures I was drawn to. Uh, after I first got saved, I was a young convert. Lydia and I gave our lives to the Lord up in Seattle in the mid-80s. Uh, and one of the, uh, the scriptures I was drawn to was out of Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, turn over to Colossians 1, uh, verse 9. Uh, it says, this is the Apostle Paul, For this reason we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that's that was my heart's desire uh, then and it is now. I want to walk worthy of the Lord. I want to be fully pleasing to Him. That means I just can't make up my own rules. I can't just rely on the doctrines of men. I have to use my own intellect, my own hunger and thirst to know him and get into the Bible and begin to learn and let the Holy Spirit speak to me. This is for you too. speak to you on the things that you need to be working on to be well-pleasing to the Lord, to walk worthy of his, of his calling. I didn't get saved to play church. I wasn't interested in being religious. When I gave my life to the Lord, I knew I had a relationship with the risen Son of God, and I wasn't going to just play and fake it uh, from that point on. And so coming out of my lifestyle, I was a little like Mylon. Lots of drugs, lots of rock and roll, lots of craziness. Um, uh, I needed a change. And uh, that morning we pledged our allegiance to the Lamb. I got filled with the Holy Ghost that morning. I'm a big advocate that 
Uh, Every altar call needs to include the prayer of salvation and the offer and invitation to receive the anointing of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of praying in tongues. And those are the kind of things that help us walk worthy of the Lord and uh, fully please Him. And so with that uh, thought there... uh, I wanted I wanted to live a commendable life. I had already dishonored my family, dishonored my name, dishonored my life to that point by living a stupid lifestyle. And so now, all of a sudden, with this fresh vision, this new salvation, this new direction in my life, I wanted to be an honorable person, a responsible person. And... Uh, I knew that I needed to make some changes in my lifestyle and thank God for Holy Ghost power. (laughs) Thank God for a Bible-believing church that taught faith, that taught transformation and renewing the mind. And uh, there were times when... uh, you know, I had those for me, I don't know about, not everybody can relate to this, but I had a few white knuckle sessions. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on, but hang on, I'm hanging on, Jesus. Lay hold of salvation, lay hold of me. And we made it through. Has it been worth the effort? Yeah. Amen. How about you? Has it been worth the effort? Yeah. Yep. And so, wisdom, spiritual understanding, the discipline to renew our minds, to become so absorbed and so involved with uh, doing it God's way, to stay the course, come heaven or high water, come hell or high water. I'm not backsliding, I'm not uh, letting go of what God gave me. And now all these, I can't do the math, but 1984 to now, it feels like far. Amen. But here we are. Is this true for you? Here you are, alive and kicking. Right? You're like a Timex watch. You may have taken a licking, but you kept on ticking. And that's a good thing, isn't it? So, uh, but I didn't just stay there. And this is a lot of times where people struggle in their Christianity. They, they uh, aren't growing and changing. That's a Christian, the Christian life is all about growing and changing. First you plant the seed, then you spend the time, and then you have the harvest, right? And so uh, that's an easy uh, concept uh, to avoid being flustered. How come things aren't happening? Well, maybe you're not spending the time. You're not investing the effort. You bought into the hyper grace thing. There's nothing you have to do. I've heard people on Christian television say, if you try to do anything to be holy, you're negating the grace of God. I say, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I'm not trying to earn my salvation, but God's looking for partners in the process. You've got to be a willing partner. It's like if you go to Krispy Kreme. It's all open. And on one end, you see the giant vat of dough, right? And then you see the assembly line. And then at the very end of the process, you see 12 in a box. 
God's trying to get you from being a lunkhead, a lump of dough at one end, and get you through his assembly line process to the end of this thing. And that takes some time, and you need to be a willing partner. And so uh, I, I wanted to be involved in more than just being a pew sitter. Right? The only good thing about, uh, uh, well, let me put it this way. Uh, too many Christians uh, look at church as just sitting in a pew. And that's how you become pewy. Because your vision is, I just come on Sunday, sit in a pew, clap a few times, say amen, maybe, and then I go home and live the way I used to be. That's not being a Christian, right? A Christian is hungry and thirsty for the things of God. Show me the way, Lord. Teach me how to do the things the way you've uh, laid out in the Word of God. And so uh, I got involved in church leadership six days after I was born again. I didn't need a 36-week class to tell me to get involved. I was so grateful and thankful that God saved me from a wicked lifestyle that six days later, the next Saturday after I got born again, I came back to the church and was helping, didn't know a soul, just knew that they were adding on to the church a building thing. And so I volunteered to come back out and start helping build the extension to the church and never look back. But I was drawn in the early days to another key principle uh, in Luke 12. If you have your Bible, turn over to Luke 12, 48. And this is from the Passion Translation. It says, Every servant who does not know his master's will and unwittingly does what is wrong will receive a less severe punishment. For those who have received a greater revelation from their master are required a greater obedience. And those who have been entrusted with great responsibility will be held more responsible to their master. So early on I had to make a choice. Am I just going to be a wallflower Christian? And not learn anymore. I don't want to know that because I'll be more accountable. I didn't want that on my heavenly resume. Well, Scott, you had all those years to learn more, to understand more, but you never really advanced more. Because you didn't want to be accountable to more truth. I didn't want to be that guy. And so I enrolled into Bible college, and I kept participating, volunteering, reading, studying, learning. Everyone needs to have that mindset, right? I got one amen. Can I get another amen? (laughs) To To whom much is given, much is required. God brought you here to New Beginnings to learn something. Pastor Larry has some powerful revelations. Every single person who believes that God called them here for no matter how long of a time, I've been here since 1991. So if you've been here uh, a couple months, a couple years, or 30 years, 
It doesn't matter. You need to be hungry and thirsty to know more about the things of God. And then in, when you're getting into leadership, let's say uh, for, uh, if you're on staff here at any church, or if you're a volunteer leader, uh, maybe you're a life group leader, or you serve in the Sunday services on the tech team or as an usher or greeter. There's leadership concepts that everyone needs to learn. Even if you're just coming to sit, you need to learn something about leadership because every Christian is a leader. Remember we talked about that, Revelation 1, we're all kings and priests. You have a noble calling, an honorable calling, a priestly calling, and you're on display, right? So uh, here we are, we're broadcasting on stream, and we've got the camera, you know, Russ and, and Dave and Karen, and everybody's got the camera. The last thing you want is for the camera to focus on you, and you fell asleep in the service. <laughs> yeah, well, there's other things, too. <laughs> You're on display. Your Christianity is on display with your relatives and friends. Are you just playing church? Or do you really believe this thing? Are you sold out to Christianity? The last thing you want to do is cause somebody to stumble because you yourself can't get it right. If you can't get something right in the kingdom of God, ask for some help. Look, brother, I'm I'm struggling with this thing. Pastor, I'm struggling. I can't get the breakthrough. Something's blocking my blessing. And find someone who can help you process through why you're not getting the breakthrough. Why aren't you a more happy person? Why aren't you this or that? I mean, that's all part of the process of learning uh, how to live up to a higher standard. You know, you can't act like a Christian on Sunday and then Monday through Saturday act like the devil. Your social media account is telling on you. (laughs) Right? Now look, I realize we have freedom in Christ, but that doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. Right? Just because there is grace, just because uh, God loves us, doesn't mean there isn't a standard of holiness we need to be working towards. Amen? I got another that's right, but everyone else is very quiet. Someone once said, if you're going to lift others up, you yourself must be on higher ground. Isn't that something? If you want to lift someone else up, you yourself have to be on higher ground. Well, what is that higher ground? That higher ground is all explained in the B-I-B-L-E. Amen? And so getting to higher ground means that we need to focus more on uh, who we are rather than what we do. Did you catch that? To get to higher ground, character development, maturing in the things of God, transitioning from being a believer to being a disciple means that we need to focus more on who we are. 
What manner of woman, what manner of man am I becoming? Right? And so if we want to become what God has called us to become, a king and a priest, then we need to begin to exercise a growing level of spiritual knowledge and spiritual discernment and a sense of discipline. There needs to be some restraining influence. Right? We can't look at what's going on out there and just point the finger, oh, all of those people that are out there sinning and doing this, and then our own house is in shambles. And so Christians need to be concerned about guarding our personal integrity. Yeah? Can you say amen? Let's get that right. Let's get that squared away. Now look, uh, uh, God uh, uh, doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he expects us to try. And if we fall and stumble and fail, Father, I'm sorry. Help me get back up. Empower me to do it better the next time. Amen? But, you know, you need to protect your name, especially in your family. The last thing your family needs is for your behavior to co-sign for their bad behavior. <laughs> Did you get that? Isn't, that? isn't that how it goes in life? People are always looking for the opt-out, the loophole. And if they see Scott being an idiot, well, Scott's a Christian, he's a pastor, and he's doing that stupid stuff, then they'll use that to co-sign for them to do the stupid stuff. Right? So we have to realize our good name, above all, is so important to guard, and it's a reflection on the Lord, the church, and our testimony. Amen? Can you, can you say amen real loud? Do you receive that today? All right. Well, I'm not going to go through the list, and that's the admonishment. That's a big part of the teaching. Uh, but the second big topic in today's study is the teaching out of Leviticus 23 on the Feast of the Lord. And the Lord begins Leviticus 23 with a teaching on keeping the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then he continues in to Passover and Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, which we call Pentecost now, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, many of you know this, but some of you may not realize that God gave the biblical holidays and said, these are my feasts. Right? We, you know, yes, they're Jewish feasts. Uh, He gave them to Israel and to the Jews first, but you and I are now, according to Romans 11, we're grafted into Israel. And so we need to honor what's going on there and work to understand what's going on there. Amen? God calls uh, these biblical holidays... Look, our kids know more about Halloween than they know about Sukkot. As, as sometimes we say, what's up with that? <laughs> Why do church kids know more about St. Valentine's Day than they know about Passover? Okay, let's move on. They're appointed times. 
And God established the holidays for several important reasons. They're part of his divine calendar. God has a timeline. There's a countdown going on, whether you realize it or not, to the end of days. And the holidays, in their own way, reveal a big part of God's master plan to the first coming and the second coming of Jesus as as revealed through the holidays. They're appointed times. Uh, In Hebrew, the appointed time means a fixed time or season. A cycle, an assembly, an appointed time, a set time, an exact time. God has certain exact times scheduled, prearranged on his calendar to meet with his people and pour out something in their lives, spiritually and financially. Right? They show us that in God's kingdom... It's not so much about making a pilgrimage anymore. I don't have to get to Israel. Although, let's get to Israel. It's fun. (laughs) I like being in Jerusalem. But rather, it's about getting to a holy place in time. There's appointed times. You know the feeling you get in the Christmas season. You know the feeling that you get the closer it gets to Christmas Eve and Christmas. That feeling of joy, that feeling of peace, that feeling of love. God intended that to come around at Passover and Pentecost and Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur and Feast of Tabernacles. Unfortunately, most of us never attended a church that even considered any of this. But now, hallelujah, in these last days, God is opening the eyes of our understanding. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Right? They're not only appointed times. God, uh, in Leviticus 23, calls them holy convocations. What does that word convocation mean? It means a rehearsal. So not are they not only a fixed time on God's calendar to pour out revelation and wisdom and blessing unique to that holiday, they're also divine rehearsals. What's a rehearsal? It's a time of preparation. It's a dry run for the real thing. Do you see that? Each of the holidays, God intended to point us to a redeeming work of the Messiah. For example, Passover. Israel comes out of Egypt. Salvation, deliverance, because of the Passover lamb. That was pointing to something even greater. Jesus is the Passover lamb. So now as we keep the Passover feast, we can remember the miracle God did for Israel and the miracle God did through Jesus. Amen. Amen. And in addition to that, there's some very unique and special promises of God associated with each of the biblical holidays. Pastor may talk about some of that today because we're just uh, a couple days away, a week or two from Shavuot and Pentecost, although they're, this year they're not on the same uh, 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 week. So 
This is a pattern God gives. The holidays are a timeline, a pattern, a revealing of his plan of redemption and a way to bless us at a unique and specific appointed time. But in addition to it being a big pattern, I got to thinking that it's even a bigger dispute. It's even a bigger problem within Christianity. And it's not because of what Jesus said or what the apostles wrote, but because of what happened in church history after the last apostles died out. And this is especially true beginning in the 4th century with the emperor Constantine. During this time, Constantine was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And they were the world's superpower. And he decided that he needed to do something to consolidate all the pagan religions along with Christianity into one nice, neat little government-sponsored package. Now we're going to have state religion. I kind of get that feeling is they're trying to do that in America today by saying church is an essential. And trying to shut down church speech is hate speech. And all of a sudden, uh, back at that time, Constantine in the 4th century and beyond, Christianity went through extreme makeovers. Uh, And there was this merging of paganism and all these new different doctrines that came not from Jerusalem, not from Israel, not from the Old Testament, not from the wisdom of God, but from the mind and madness of men. I'll give you an example. This epitomizes the change that was going on. When did Passover become Easter? And maybe even the better question is, why did Passover become Easter? What the heck is Easter? Have you ever asked yourself, what the heck is Easter? Yeah, some of us have studied and know that Easter is the uh, name of a pagan goddess, Astar, Astarte, Istar. Easter, the goddess of fertility. Now somebody help me here. How do Christian leaders decide to name the most powerful event on the Christian calendar after a pagan goddess? How did that happen? But a lot of things happened. And we've just kind of gone along with it. But in the last days, God said, I'm going to open up people's eyes. And people are going to start to realize that we've inherited useless and unprofitable things from our spiritual fathers. And we're going to get back to the origins of our faith that are rooted in the olive tree. And the, the, the trunk, the root of that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the biblical holidays, by and large, were abandoned by the church. And much of the Old Testament wisdom was lost. In fact, it wasn't just lost, it was intentionally nullified. We were intentionally severed from our Jewish roots. 
And along with that came uh, a loss of knowledge about God's original plans. And it was all designed to alienate the church from Israel. you got to remember, Rome was Rome. Right? They were the superpower. And the last thing in the world we're going to let happen is some puny little uh, country out in the middle of the desert try to tell big bad Rome how to run things. And Paul had to come out and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you boast like you're something. You don't support Israel. Israel supports you. Romans 11. You've been the wild olive branch grafted in. You're not the original. You're grafted into the original. And that structure, that framework, you don't want to be alienated from. But they didn't heed the, uh, the warning. It's all well documented. Now here's the crazy thing, and many of you have heard this. As this madness unfolds, the Western church, the European church, went through an extended period called the Dark Ages. Who's ever heard that term? The Dark Ages. It's a a period of hundreds of years of spiritual and intellectual darkness that fell upon Europe. It collapsed the Roman Empire. And from the time of Constantine, at about 313, 317 A.D., all the way through 1517 and Martin Luther, you remember Martin Luther, he posted the the 95 theses on the church door and uh, 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 he got uh, 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 punished for that, didn't he? Uh, But what it was is that Uh, During that time, the Word of God was locked away. It was chained to the pulpit. God's Word, the Bible, was not available to the common ordinary man. You're too stupid to know what it says. We'll tell you what it says. People still act that way. You got your own Bible, but we still act that way. Remember when David Barton was here the other day and he said that uh, he pointed out in the book of Acts how the Bereans were smarter than the Corinthians because they both heard Paul preach but only the Bereans went back to the Torah to see if what he was preaching on really held water or not. And Paul commends them. You're smarter. You're the sharper knife in the drawer. So all of this went on for hundreds and hundreds of years and drastic changes were made to the way Jesus and the apostles practiced their faith. And it's just, we're now in these last days, our eyes are being opened. There's a just a worldwide effort to come back to the Jewishness of the gospel. The closest we were up until recently was the little bumper sticker, my boss was a, is a Jewish carpenter. Now, he's a Jewish rabbi, orthodox, kept kosher, followed the Torah, and on and on and on. But what we have to realize, and I'll try to wrap this up here in just a minute or two, is that all of that replacement theology. Israel is replaced. 
The church is the new Israel. Europe is going to uh, determine how we interpret the scriptures. Well, that all morphed into something very, very bad. The dark ages morphed into the inquisitions. And the inquisitions started in about the 12th century and continued for hundreds of years. And they, they were inquisitors that went around towns and villages throughout all of Europe, heretic hunting. And it finally came around that we're going to heretic hunt the Jews. And the inquisitions were infamous for persecution and torture and death to the Jews. Millions of Jews either died or they secretly converted. They converted to Christianity openly, especially in Spain and Portugal. And to this day, they're known as the conversos or the Moranos, who secretly were Jews, but outwardly pretended to convert to Christianity just to escape death or torture. And as all of that went down, the original revelations and teachings of the Torah of Yeshua were largely lost. But a a church like New Beginnings and many like us are now going back to find out what are the origins. We're going into our own spiritual ancestry.com trying to get back to finding out what really was the intention of this scripture. What really did God say about the holidays and about all these biblical truths? Uh, One thing we know for sure, in heaven today, Moses and Jesus get along real good. (laughs) They don't have Moses' side of town, and they're the Hatfields, and Jesus' side of heaven, they're the McCoys. That's not happening. But it's still happening in the church. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 17, If you think I've come to set aside the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, you're mistaken. I've come to fulfill and bring to perfection all that has been written. I've come to show you how to live it at the highest levels. Amen? And so we could go on and on, and I wish we had more time. But at the end of the day, thank God for the Jewish people. Jesus said in John 4, salvation is from the Jews. What do you do with something like that? White it out. Pass out the white out. It means that we as Christians owe the Jews a great debt. We don't really appreciate the fact that for 4,000 years they've stood on the Torah. And they've passed that thing down even though the Hitlers of the world, the Inquisitors of the world were trying to uh, torture and kill them all. And they've survived. And they've passed down to us that legacy and that heritage. This is what... This is what Paul meant in Romans 3.1. What advantage then has the Jew? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And then in Romans 9.4, he said, They were made God's children. 
The Shekinah has been with them. The covenants are theirs. The giving of the Torah, the temple service, the promises, the patriarchs, and the Messiah have all come from the Jews. Praise be to God forevermore, Paul says in Romans 9. So thank God the Jews didn't vanish into history. 4,000 years later. Look, by comparison, think about this. America's only been around for a couple hundred years, and we're in danger of losing our spiritual history and our biblical foundations. We're standing by watching crazy people make crazy rulings to silence the church, to close down the church, to turn our Bible speech into hate speech, and and somebody better rise up and say, "Uh uh-uh, not on our watch. So let God move on us in these last days. Let us have that revelation of being grafted in, of loving Israel, praying for the peace of Jerusalem, and fulfilling the prophecy that Paul gave in Ephesians 2 about the one new man, the Jew and the Gentile coming together with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, becoming one new man. Amen. Do you receive that today? Well, give the Lord a praise.